Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by James Brook. How are you doing, James? Hi, Sam. Yep, good. I don't think we've got much to talk about tonight, have we? So, Yeah, probably going to be a bit, of a bit of a dull episode, but we'll, we'll make the best of it. Uh, Tom Serrett, how are you doing, Tom? Doing good, doing good. Interested in hearing your views about what happened over the last few hours. Yeah, well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opinion on that. Uh, Rafael Djokovic, how are you doing today, Rafa? Not too bad. Disillusioned with football, but I think I'll, I'll get over it. Yeah, it's certainly been a, a whirlwind 24 hours. And Francesco Amesbury, how are you doing, Francesco? I'm okay, thanks, Sam. I'm okay. Okay, yeah, everyone, everyone's just about holding up. Uh, okay, let's get to it. Um, we're going to start off, you'll be surprised to hear, uh, we talk about the European Super League. Obviously, rumours sort of came out around yesterday lunchtime. It was officially confirmed yesterday evening. I'm going to come to you first, James, because I know you're a proud Liverpool fan, or at least were last time <laughs> I spoke to you. Um what, what's your opinion on everything um, that's happened over the last 24 hours? I think it's mainly just shock, really. I think the other boys are probably in the same situation. It, it moved very quickly, didn't it? I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't expecting anything like that kind of going into the, the day, throughout the day, and then news kind of slowly filtered through. Um, and then obviously we got the statement later on. So just shock at how quickly things kind of went went from one place to the other and how quickly it was kind of ratified by the clubs that are involved. And it's just got a surreal kind of feel to it, hasn't it? The whole, the way it's been handled and the statements from the clubs without really going into too much detail, just a quick kind of, this is it and no further information, no further comments. And I mean, it's interesting you brought Liverpool up. Obviously, yeah, I am a Liverpool fan, aside from from obviously watching watching Serie A and plenty of other European football. I am a Liverpool fan, um, and I just I just can't get my head around it. Really, I know many fans are obviously outraged, disgusted, and I understand that point of view. But for me, it's there's a level of intrigue as well um, that I can't quite shake. That I, I mean, I'm just interested to see how it goes. What's next? And, and how everything will be resolved because it's going to be messy. It's going to be a long, drawn-out affair and they want this to be as soon as possible. There's so much to tie up. Um, so I'm somewhere in between kind of shock and, uh, and fascination, really. So I think the stock response from a lot of people is outrage and that's understandable. Um, but I'm more just intrigued at what's going to happen and kind of in a way admiring the brass neck of the club so we've just gone you know what we're just going to do it um I just can't can't wait to see how it's going to go people decrying the death of football and, and things like that I think that that that's kind of a a predictable overreaction in my in my kind of view I think there's there's so much of this story still to run um but it's it's just a, a story that I didn't think we'd be talking about this week, and I'm interested to hear what the other the other chaps think about it. I don't want to ramble on with my uh, Liverpool tinted vision. Well, I I think you know that there's been talks about this for quite some time now, um, but I think that certainly, as you say, the speed with which it has come about, I think, has shocked quite a few people. And also, I think that um, there was talk about 
you know, it perhaps coming in at the start of the 2022-23 season. Now they're saying as soon as as soon as possible. So it could be as soon as next season. I've seen that a UEFA executive has come out today and said that he expects Man City, uh, Real Madrid and Chelsea to be kicked out of the Champions League this week. And they will come up with an alternative way to end the Champions League this season. Raphael, what, what are your thoughts on it? I think the shock that we're all sort of experiencing is the fact that it's always been there, the you know, the, the idea of a Super League. They've always, I mean, these big clubs have always been sort of dangling it over our heads, using it as a sort of bargaining uh, a bargaining chip to try and get what they want from uh, from UEFA and FIFA. But yeah, as uh, as James was saying, we didn't really expect it to go as quickly as, as it did yesterday. I think it, I think about about midday it started to filter through, and then suddenly, suddenly it was a done deal, and we had we had the statement at midnight. Um, but yeah, obviously there is there's still a lot you know still left to be uh, to be worked out. Right now, as we as we're recording, there's a big uh, there's a big meeting between all the Serie A clubs, deciding on what they're going to do there, which uh, is quite interesting actually, because originally it was meant to be a meeting between the seventeen clubs. Who, uh, who weren't involved in the Super League, so excluding Inter, Milan, and Juve. And apparently, at the last minute, they've all they've all turned up, all twenty. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I don't, apparently, they're not gonna, like from early reports, they're not gonna kick them out of Serie A or anything, anything drastic like that for now. So, um, so that'll be interesting to see how how it how it sort of how it sort of pans out, but. As a, I mean, as to my personal view on on it, I think it is it's a massive shame because, you know, I in I, in the end, you know, the, these are it, it just it takes away a lot of the a lot of the meritocracy of football, the you know, the the idea of promotion and relegation is crucial for for football and. For maintaining that sort of um, at least at least the facade of you know of entertainment of, of suspense of excitement and I think this sort of you know it might be a model it might be a model that works for American sports because you know American sports have a different history to to sports in Europe and you know with franchises and all of that it it makes more sense in a, in the context of American sports. But clearly not in a, you know clearly not in in sports in Europe where there is a deeper connection to grassroots I feel and you know I mean in the end it is you know it is a tug of war between you know FIFA UEFA and these big clubs and it's you know it is money versus money in the end but it is yeah it's it's, it's disappointing to see that in the end you know the only the only part that comes out that comes out of this looking well comes out of this negatively is going to be the the clubs outside of the of the elite. Yeah, it feels a bit strange sort of siding with UEFA given they've been a bit of a shambles of an organization themselves for, for quite some time. Um but yeah, that, that's the way it does seem to be going. I I think the thing that makes it a little bit strange is as you say, these clubs who have agreed to join the European Super League. I know there's been a lot of debate in England today about, you know, why are Arsenal and Spurs in it? They're nowhere near the top four at the moment. If you think about Serie A, 
AC Milan haven't qualified for the Champions League for seven seasons. They probably are going to this year, but they haven't for a while. Inter Milan look like they're going to win the title, but they haven't won it for 11 years. So are these clubs actually like super clubs? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think in England, for example, there's quite an argument for like Aston Villa, Everton, Nottingham Forest having more of a history than Spurs. Stuff like that. Uh, you know, Spurs haven't won a league title in 60 years. I'm quite fond of Spurs myself, actually. Or I was until 24 hours ago. But I'm just saying, they haven't won a league title in 60 years. So do they deserve to be in this competition? Does anyone have a divine right to play in the in this competition? That That's a thing. Um, how about you, Tom? You want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it really, I think, really goes down. It makes me think, it made me think about what, makes us think that what is a big game and usually when you come to the conclusion it's usually two successful teams meeting on a special occasion like a cup final or a Champions League and the fixture ceases to be big if it happens every week and the same way I saw started thinking about the Champions League in the last few years as well so I've virtually lost interest in the tournament along in the last few years because like from the semi-final onwards it's virtually always the same team and that is why I really enjoyed watching Apo Nicosia's amazing run to the quarterfinals like a decade ago or Atleti reaching the final twice first in 2014 and 2016 and I also loved watching Porto this year you know trying to battle it out you know they beat Juve and you know making it all the way to the quarterfinal but it also sort of makes you think why is Porto you know, Porto shouldn't be called an underdog. You know, they have won the Champions League in the past. They are one of the biggest teams in Europe on paper, historically. And and we'll go on to it later um, in the show, obviously, but we wouldn't have had relegation battles like we had like Cagliari versus Parma this week, or which wasn't necessarily a high-quality game, but it was exciting, which I personally rather watch in a football match. And I remember, like, distinctly, it just... A couple of years ago, I was watching a Celtic versus Rangers. I think it was a Scottish semi-final or Scottish cup final. And it went into extra time. The quality-wise, the game was awful. So they missed so many open goals, but there was so much end-to-end action, even in extra time, that I genuinely enjoyed it more than seeing these kind of high-profile teams and players playing against each other. So I think, end of the day, it's whether fans... And it goes down to fans' personal preference. Do people prefer watching high-quality games with like high technical ability, or do people prefer watching exciting games? And I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys prefer like a high-quality match with like uh, the best players, best teams, or do you prefer exciting game? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I just wonder what do you guys think? What your views are? Well, I think, I think if you I think if you look at the Premier League this season, that, that's an interesting point, actually, because, for example, with Manchester United, I think everyone could agree Manchester United are a big club. But some of their games against the top six this season have been absolute dross. <clears throat> and if we have to watch that every week, <clears throat> then I'm out. I don't, I don't want to watch them drawing nil-nil at home to Chelsea where each shot has, each team has one shot on target. I don't want to see them drawing nil-nil at home to Man City and all this absolute garbage. Um, yeah, I'd much rather watch Cagliari Palmer as we saw on Friday night. But um, we're, we're going to move on from this in a sec. Francesco, have you got anything to add on, on this topic? 
Yeah, I just, uh, I think Raphael makes the point about meritocracy. I think that is the bottom line for me. That's the thing that's most difficult to to take the fact that these clubs are just going to be in it all of the time and there's going to be no jeopardy for them. And I don't know how the invitational stuff is going to work with the other teams, but the fact that there's going to be no meritocracy in those clubs, whatever happens, doesn't matter how bad you are, you're always going to be there. You're always going to get a boatload of money. It's just, it's just wrong, in my opinion. The point Tom makes, I think, is also interesting about how basically in this uh in modern football where everything where the most important factor is money there's no question about it the most impact important factor is money and how other european clubs who are not in the biggest leagues just find it so difficult to be competitive you know and we're not just talking about the the very small leagues like the balkan leagues that used to have big clubs like red top grade etc but we're talking about teams like Porto and Benfica from the from the Portuguese league. We're talking about some of the French teams who, like Marseille, for example, who just do not have the same revenue streams that the Premier League teams do. And we're even talking about the Serie A teams to a point. Like it is frustrating as a as a Serie A fan that the main reason that Inter and Milan and Juve and all the other Serie A teams are not winning in Europe anymore, the main reason is they just do not have the financial power of the Premier League teams and of Barcelona and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. And paradoxically, having a European league done correctly could address that a little bit. If you do it properly, in theory, you could make things more equal. If you have all the teams in one massive league, where the revenue streams are the same, where the TV rights are all coming into all of those teams, you could even out that a bit. You could make it so that if Porto and Inter and Man United are all in the same league, they're picking up the same amount of money from TV streams and it makes it a lot more equal. The problem is that you have to have, uh, you have to have some sort of pyramid, I think, some sort of meritocracy where anyone, if you're a Bari fan or if you're a Bristol City fan or any tiny team or Red Star Belgrade fan, you have to know that if, I'm, if I get my act together and... Uh, you know, pick up some good players, there's a chance that I can work my way up through the system and dream about being in the top division and dream about competing for European competitions. A little bit like what Atalanta have done. You know, we've seen them grow as a team and become a team now that is year in, year out in the Champions League. And they've built that from nothing. And I know that's quite rare. We don't see it. Tom's right that, you know, it's domination by the same teams. But... That's not going to change anytime soon. That domination is going to carry on unless there is a change in the system. So I'm definitely against this Euro League. Definitely. I, I, I don't like what they've come up with. But the, but the main issue for me is the meritocracy. It's not the idea that they're trying to readjust things. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's loads more I'd like to say, but, uh, you know, I, I think other guys want to say stuff. So. No, I'm, I'm willing to hear you speak, Francesco. I think you make some excellent points. I just wanted to say, Mainly, I know that the outrage has been there from, well, from everybody and from those fans of the clubs that have, have joined this dozen, dirty dozen. I think the, 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 the fury has been the most, really. But the reason that I'm not so infuriated as a Liverpool fan is that I do quite like the idea of a, a pan-European league like Francesco mentioned there if, if they could do it properly and if there could be a proper system of, of relegation and promotion and the funds split evenly I think we would see 
it'd be a fantastic competition if you could get that all together in one league. Um, but the merit, you know, you have to have that pathway for, for smaller clubs to get up there. Um, so I'd, if that if they could work that out properly, it would be something of beauty. But I think the trouble is that those clubs are so greedy that they, they don't want to see that happen. They don't want to see a, an open field. And, and that's the crux of the matter, isn't it, basically? But I think as football fans, and it's interesting that Tom says, what's a big game? What do we want to see? We just want to see good competition. We want to see um, excitement and teams that can beat each other. And, and you don't always know who's going to win. And if you had something like a, a European league built with top teams, <clears throat> sorry, but with that uh, possibility that clubs can get there as well, it would be fantastic. It really would be. But you can't see it happening with these current uh, you know, the current people in charge, something needs to change there. I think it's interesting to see that, you know, UEFA, they, they, well, they pushed through the, uh, the new Champions League format while everyone had their eyes on the Super League. And it's going to come into place in, uh, in 2024, I think. And it's, it's, it has a lot of the same aspects as the, as the Super League because there are going to be fixed spots for certain teams, certain elite teams, they call them. And yeah, basically, you can have a rubbish season and get in mm. by that safety net, can't you? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 like a it's like a watered down version of the Super League, basically. So I think whatever happens, whatever comes out of this, I mean, the fans are going to lose out. It's we're going to end up with a European competition that's not of the same quality as as the Champions League in terms of entertainment. And yeah, I think. Football, European football in general, will be poorer for it. Yeah, and I, when I look at, I don't know if you guys know, I don't know if you guys heard of the European Conference that's being introduced next season. It's this idea, not many people know about it. Basically, there's going to be a third competition below the Europa League, with, which is essentially allowing, so the top 15 leagues in Europe will go to the Champions League and Europa League. And obviously, I follow the Hungarian league quite closely, which is like ranked around, I think, low 20, low 20s. And so they would have to, the champions of that league will go to the Champions League. But if they get knocked out, they'd have to go down to the European Conference. And all the other Hungarian teams can only compete in the European Conference. So you will get this league, which is made up of these kind of Eastern European, lower endish league teams playing in this third tier competition, which is ranked even below the uh, Europa League. And it just makes you wonder, like, what is even the point of qualifying for Europe anymore? Like, there's no prestige in it. Like, anyone will be able to qualify to Europe in any way. And if you like, I don't know, if you win the, Euro the Europa Conference, which is, I don't know, the third ranked European league in the world, what, what value does it actually hold? But uh, Tom, Tom, isn't that underpinned, though? I know in theory, I know most of the time we're just talking in theory, but isn't it underpinned by, by a level of meritocracy? I don't know, I might be wrong, but is there not, if, if the Hungarian teams did well, for example, would their league not eventually be promoted to a league that would then qualify for the Europa League and then eventually to the Champions League, or, or does it not work like that? I mean, in theory, yes, but if you think, look at, I mean, I don't know, like, we're diverging to the Hungarian League right now, but like, for example, Ferenc Varys qualified for the Champions League this year which is like our best team uh, at the moment. And they were hammered by Juve. They were hammered by Barcelona. They were competitive against Dinamo Kiev. 
Now, okay, they finished bottom, they're going to get revenue again, but like, are they able to compete with the top teams? And if, you, if all these teams are going to the conference, they will never be able to be compete with the Europa League teams, they'll never be able to get, compete with the Champions League teams because the kind of, this kind of difference in quality is sort of maintained. So what UEFA is actually sort of doing is making the Europa League more exclusive as well, um, down the line as well for like the top 15 leagues as well so I'm not sure so yeah I'm not sure it's going to be much harder to make to climb up the ladder and for every lower ranked league it's going to be much harder just to get into the Champions League Why, why, why do you think uh, I don't, you, you might not know, be, know the answer to these questions I don't, I don't know the answer but you, you, it sounds like you know more about it than I do but why do you think it's more difficult with that kind of system for, for a team like for the other because Ferenc Farage goes straight into the Champions League or the Champions go straight into the Champions League why would it be more difficult for the other teams? Because isn't, doesn't, isn't there a potential for their, sleep, for their European season to carry on and for them to get more exposure and more revenue that way? Or is, it, is, is there just too much of a you know, discrepancy with the, amount, with the amount of money that's going into the Europa League, for example, to, to what will be going into this conference competition? Uh, I don't, I'm not actually sure about the revenue. But for the, these East European teams, you know, I'm sure you're aware there's qualifiers you have to make. And usually there's four rounds of qualifiers into the Champions League. Uh, round one, round two, round three, playoff. That's eight games. That's eight games that these teams have to play July to August. And then you get the high-ranked teams flowing in later. And by the time some of these teams, lower-ranked teams, get to the playoffs, they've already played eight games this season. Whereas, I don't know, let's say Tottenham, for example, if they have to go for qualifiers, go straight to the Champions League playoffs, that's their first game. Whereas, for example, for an Eastern European team, that would be like their seventh game. So literally, they need a, like it requires a lot of planning. It requires planning from January onwards so that they can plan the summer season for the qualifiers. So it's, it's very difficult already for smaller teams to get to the Champions League. And they're already at a disadvantage because they play, have to play so many games. To, to me, though, I think it's I, I don't I don't mind this idea this idea of the conference because for me like I, I'm with you Tom I want those those te those teams that used to be great sides that used to be able to compete to be competitive again and at the moment it's just not happening and it's never going to happen so this kind of idea and it reminds me a little bit of what they've done in the Nations League which is a competition which is one of the innovations that I can't remember if it's, FIFA, it's UEFA or FIFA that competition but it's one of the best innovations there's been of late because I really like that competition. I like how they've made it so teams are playing against other teams of their level. But if they do show, if they do, uh, you know, win their division, they'll go up and, and they can improve. And so those teams that like San Marino, for example, and, and your Liechtenstein, your Luxembourg, who are just getting hammered every single week, now they're playing in matches that are going to, you know, that their fans are going to be more into because there's a chance they'll win. And there is a meritocracy there. If they win and continue to do well, they'll get promoted. And to me, it sounds a little bit like that's what's going to happen with this conference situation. And as someone who doesn't really follow Eastern European football that much, I, I would like to, but it just doesn't get exposed. You know, we saw Red Star Belgrade play against Milan this year. That's, that's the most I've seen of it. Having a European conference where we're seeing more of those teams might actually help the situation. And, but also it's underpinned by this meritocracy, you know, in terms of the fact that if the league does well, if the league performs well, they can get better and... and um, you know, eventually climb the pyramid. And the same goes for all those teams. So I don't mind that as much. The big issue with this Euro European Super League, and I'm sure all you guys agree, is the, is the fact that there is no meritocracy. 
and also, you know, like uh, James was saying, it is just a huge money grab. It's just a huge money grab. They just they, they, these people are running these clubs just exclusively as businesses. That is all they, they all they care about is the money. You know, there's no because and it's disappointing as well. Like you can understand it a bit more with with Milan, who are run by a hedge fund. A hedge fund is just about making money. You know, you can understand it even a little bit more with with Suning because this year they were they're just trying to sell Inter for as much money as possible. So they are in it for the money, and and they don't they, they don't see the history. What's more disappointing for me is Agnelli, who has been an absolute piece of work with this. He's been an absolute piece of work, and I'm going to read you what the UEFA president said about him. I don't know anything about Seferin as well. It could be that he's not, not the nicest guy as well. But this is what he said. He said, I've never seen a person lie so many times and as persistently as he did. I spoke with him on Saturday afternoon and he said it is all lies. So Agnelli's saying it's all lies. And then, uh, and then it, it turns out that it's not. It's all true. But also then uh, Seferin goes on to say, greed allows all human values to evaporate. And I think that is, you know, it really surmises what's happening here. It's just a money grab. They, because they, Agnelli, and, 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 and Florentino Perez as well, they're going to be such big players in this thing, and they're going to be president, vice president, whatever. They they know about the history of the game. You know, Juve have won thirty titles in Italy, thirty plus titles. They've won the European Cup. Real Madrid, their, their success and their popularity is based on how how they've done in in European competition, and they're just just happy to just wash it all away. It's, it's a oh, it's just a bag of crap. Well, I mean, the, the Agnelli family has been involved with Juventus for years as well, and they're just sort of going to damage that history. I, I know the Seferin also called Ed Woodward a snake. Um, that That's the Manchester United uh, chief executive. Um, I think he, he, he said he spoke to him on Thursday, and he said there was nothing going on with any of this, and then a few days later it happened. So it seems there's some really nasty piece of work behind all this. Uh, which makes it pretty clear that their intentions aren't pure. But um, we're going to leave the European Super League there for now. Um, just to let everyone know, we're, we're, film, we're, we're recording this on Monday evening. It probably won't come out till Tuesday. So hopefully this is all still relevant then. It probably will be. We'll still think they're all arseholes. But, um, but just to let you know anyway. We're now going to move on to the biggest games of the weekend and they were down the bottom because the top teams don't matter right now. So we're going to talk about Cagliari v Parma, which was one of the best games of the season. Uh, I'll come to you first, Raphael. What was it in fact, perhaps the best game of the season in terms of drama, in terms of what this meant in the relegation battle, whether that's even a factor anymore, but if there is a relegation battle, how good was this game? No, massive. Definitely. In terms of what was at stake, in terms of the entertainment, again, it, yeah, like, like we were saying earlier, this is a game that didn't necessarily have the highest quality players, but it was the most entertaining of the of the weekend, well, probably along with Lazio Benevento. But yeah, I think yeah, definitely considering what was at stake, it's it's you know it's a dramatic turnaround. Parma once again dropping a two goal lead. I think is fourth time this season or fourth time in the second half of the season at least so that's been a massive that's been a massive factor in you know in keep what's been keeping them down there because they've clearly improved in terms of their in terms of the style of play in this second half of the season under Daversa but they've just you know the, mentally speaking they just haven't really they've had they haven't they haven't been with it um 
think what was really really nice at the end of the game though the, um there's a nice gesture from Joel Pedro at the end he went down to sit next to um uh, I can't Jasmine which Kertich, wasn't it that's the <coughs> one, yeah. Kertich, yeah yeah he was, he was he was in tears at the end because obviously he knew that was that was it for Palmer and Joel Pedro went down to sit next to him to console him which is really nice really nice little image to end the weekend on but yeah, massive game, and uh, it you know it shows it shows the uh, it shows the value in these in these lower you know games from from lower down in the table. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think Palmer have now dropped twenty four points from winning positions this season, something like that. Um, and it wasn't really <clears throat> you can see why, given what happened. I I think that the worst one for me was. Cagliari's equaliser, the third goal, where uh, I think it was Pereiro had so much time and space to just, I mean, it was an excellent finish, but he had so much time and space. Um, James, I'll come to you on this. Palmer themselves have an ambitious owner. We've been talking about owners. Um, it looks like they're almost certain to go down now, but given that they have this owner on board who seems willing to pump a bit of money in, do you expect them to come back fairly quickly or, or might they struggle as, as we saw a few years back when obviously due to financial issues, they went all the way down to Serie D? Well, I'm sure they'll have been glancing, you know, an envious eye across his, his mates, uh, the Glazers and, uh, and John Henry and etc. The, the fellow Americans who have, who have managed to to break away. I'm sure they'll have been slightly envious of that, but it's impossible to say. Really, it's it's quite strong these days, City and Base. So there's there's no um, guarantee that they'll come up. Uh, they've got a few handy players. Uh, Dennis Mann, I think, is is possibly the pick of them. Um, but yeah, it, it's impossible to say. But it doesn't look good for them at the moment. And again, it's a shame we talk about um, storied clubs and. And not doing particularly well, and, and Palmer are one that everybody wants to see do well. Really, it's a, it's a great city, it's a great club, and, and everybody wants them to be to be up there and thriving. But it doesn't doesn't always work that way, and that's that's part of why everybody hates what we've these proposals we've seen. It's it's you know a club like Palmer, anything can happen. They can go down. Um, it's nothing's nothing secure at the start of the season. I don't think any of us would have tipped uh, Palmer to go down. So it's part and parcel of football, and it's and it's another reminder as to why why we don't want to see these things happen. But I, I think they are gone now, and I think they should start to plan for next season. Um, I think that'd be the smart thing to do: try and secure the players that they have, um, and just plan a little bit how they're going to come back. It needs to be a long term vision, I think. Yeah, that certainly uh, will be will be the case. It seems. Um, I'm now going to move on to the game that uh, sort of rivaled it for entertainment, and that was Lazio Benevento. Uh, come to you first, uh, Tom, on this one. Uh, so this ended five three in the end. Although you know Lazio's fifth goal came right at the death, so this was very close. Um, Chiro Immobile getting a couple of goals that was crucial for him. But but what did you make of this game? It, it, it was utter chaos for most of it, to be honest, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Immobile was causing utter, was breaking havoc for Benevento, absolute nuisance. Not just Immobile, I think people overlook Correa's performance as well because he he was quite influential, I thought, throughout the whole game as well. Um, but I think it really makes you wonder where Lazio would be without their front line because um, they are very much so relying on their attacking talent uh, for goals. And there's not really, I think we've been saying all season, they don't really have kind of a, option 
be on on the bench, you know, still ignite the game if there's any problems with like with they lack um, Immobile. Um, it was kind of interesting. I feel I think throughout the season we've been also been saying that Benavente has been struggling just for goals. And even though they got three, I still sort of felt that, you know, the three goals they had were not really well worth attacking moves. They were from set pieces or just like one-off brilliance long shots. Um, so I know a lot, a lot of people would be faulting Lazio for their defensive performance, but um, I wouldn't say too much negatively based on what we've seen. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of Benevento going forward, uh, they should really try and nick something against their games against Genoa and Udinese. Yeah, they're, they're, it seems Benevento aren't, aren't completely, uh, you know, away from the relegation zone yet. Um, I've got to say, the defending from set pieces in this game was some of the worst I've seen in a long time. I think we had a couple of penalties from them. One goal disallowed for a push five yards away from where the ball was. It was all bizarre. What, what did you make of it, Francesco? Was it maybe not the highest quality game we've seen, but it was it was bloody entertaining, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, it was messy, really messy. Lots of VAR, lots of goals, own goals. Um, I think the takeaway is that for me is that I feel like Lazio, even though they haven't been that good of late, are still in with a with a chance of getting into the, into the Champions League. I think they're only four points off uh, fourth now, um, which is pretty good going for them considering the form that Immobile has been in um, and how they've not been playing that well. I mean, even this weekend, they weren't convincing H. Benevento. Um, and also, I think Benevento are in a bit of trouble now. Um, they're, they're five points, I think they're five points ahead of Cagliari and they still have to play Cagliari. Um, they've only won one game in the last 14 and, uh, you know, it was a big, it was against Juve, which shows how important that result was and, that's uh, that's their only win in fourteen games. So I think now they they are more likely to go down than uh, than Torino and and probably Fiorentina. And I think yeah, they need to be careful. Yeah, I just wanted to mention. I know Tom was asking where Lazio would be without the attack, but I think it's what's impressed me is how they've they've managed to get. I think that's the ninth home win in a row or something along those lines. And with the such poor form that Immobile has been in. They've still managed to just keep going and keep picking up wins, and I'm not really sure how that's happened. To be quite honest with you, because um, without Immobile, they don't tend to tend to look all that threatening. If he's not in, I mean, it didn't look like it was going to be a good day for me, Mister Early Header. Um, I thought for the opening goal, he could have done better, and it went in off Eddie Paoli, but he, he thought he could have done better there. But he missed a penalty, obviously, but he still managed to, to get a couple of goals. But I think it's massive credit to the whole squad, uh, to Inzaghi. I know he's not been on the on the bench recently, but that they've managed to keep going and they're still very much in in the in the race for for top four. Um, should it should it mean anything? They're obviously the right in. I think that's credit to Caicedo and credit to obviously Correa, as Tom says, he doesn't often get the credit, but he was brilliant. Um, and the right in there, definitely. Yeah, they've also got Milenkovic-Savic has been playing pretty well. Obviously, he got a late winner last weekend. Just on him, I think Immobile's missed his last couple of penalties. I don't know what you guys think. I've never thought he was that good a penalty taker. 
He reminds me a little bit of Mo Salah in that Mo Salah's penalty record is actually really good, but he tends to just kick it as hard as he can. And I feel that's what Immobile does as well. And if you guess the right way, he doesn't put it near the corners very often. So, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Immobile, but I don't think he's that great at penalties. No, I, I agree with you, Sam. And uh, I also say I I also say that um, it's unforgivable now for top clubs not to have a penalty taker who does the thing where they wait for the keeper to move, because that seems to be like the way to go. Uh, you know, like the Jorginho, for example, or Bruno Fernandes, whoever you, whoever you want. But that is uh, that seems to be easily the most successful technique. So well, that's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned Salah because he just puts his foot through it. He never looks like he's hit it clearly. He doesn't do that stutter run up every time he steps up. You don't back him, but he is so successful and he just yeah. blasts it. Yeah, I'm, they, sure they, they, I'm sure his run's coming to an end, James. Yeah. If he carries on doing that. They, they, don't, they don't watch the keeper. I mean, I remember like the, you know, Champions League final, for example, Salah's penalty in that, it wasn't very good, but it went in. So, yeah, there you go. He'll miss one soon, I'm sure, but there you go. And of course, just looking down the bottom half, uh, sorry, sorry, the relegation battle, we've talked about Cagliari and how it's a big win for them. Benevento losing again. But uh, perhaps Cagliari's win wasn't quite as big, given what happened in the Torino-Roma game. Uh, this ended 3-1 to Torino, having fallen behind early on. They came back to win this one. Raphael, how impressed were you uh, with, with this win for Torino? Yeah, I mean, it's... It was, it's an impressive win because, you know, it is against a, a very good Roma side. But at the same time, this is probably the best time to be playing Roma because they are in free fall in the league. They're clearly concentrating all of their you know, all their assets on, on the Europa League. And, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is impressive. It showed the importance, I think, of the... So I was going on about this a few weeks ago as well. Torino's depth and attack. The fact that they... Had you know, other than Belotti, they have Sanabria. They, I think he scored. He scored their first goal. Then they brought on them. Um, they brought on Zaza for him, who also scored. And I think it is that sort of definite attack that is eventually going to save them. Probably, I think they. I think they. I can see them finishing above Fiorentina, Benevento at least. So, definitely a massive, uh, a massive win and. It says a lot about you know where Roma's uh, Roma's priorities lie right now. Yeah, and I think if you just look at, I think Raf just mentioned it there how Roma have serious problems. I think particularly at the back. I mean, if you just look at Ibanez's performances like throughout the whole season, it's just been awful. He's just unable to close down players properly, and he's just constantly out of position in relation to Cristante, and was struggling to keep the Sanabria quite. I know Sanabria's been in form. But at the same time, he should have been able, he should have been playing better. And if you look at Fazio as well, he just, he gave a stupid ball away in his own half, which we, which led to another goal. So he's not really up to, fit, up to pace either. And I'm just looking at those three defenders right now. And I feel just they've been really holding the team back, the attack back in terms of performing better. And I'm honestly not sure that the defence is, is any better than of a mid-table team or a relegation side. I'm, I'm not sure if you put Ibanez, Cristante and Fazio together in a back three in like Parma or Udinese, they'll be able to you know, save the team from relegation. Because I don't know, it's just, I just felt that like the whole season, 
they've been costing the team so many points. Well, of course, we saw it. I think Ibanez had a horrible game in the first row derby earlier this season, and he's, he's struggled to sort of pick things up again since then. I don't think Fazio's ever been good enough, really, wherever he's been. So I don't think that's a major surprise. But they did, to be fair to them, make the semi-finals of the Europa League just about seeing off Ajax. It was, it was touch and go, um, particularly in that second half. But they did just about get the job done. They're due to play Man United in the semi-finals of the Europa League. We'll have to see if Man United are still in that competition. Do you give him much chance of going on to win that, James? Or do you think it's semi-finals and out for Roma? They've definitely got a chance. I mean, if you get to the semi-finals of any competition, you've you've got a chance. I don't think United are um, are anything particularly special. I think they're a better side than Roma. But um, over two legs, I think I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't count Roma out. We've seen them rise to the occasion in the Europa League this season. So um, they're not doing particularly well domestically, but uh, I'd certainly give them a chance, yeah. And if they can win, if they can beat United, I'd definitely give them a chance in uh, against Villarreal or Arsenal. So certainly I wouldn't rule them out. Who knows? Yeah, of course, the, the Europa League could be a bit of a mess. We'll have to see if United and Arsenal are even still in it. But for now, we're pretending that we are. So they could be, <laughs> it could be an interesting tie. Um I'm now, now going to move on to an, another game which uh, which brought us plenty of goals. That was Bologna Spezia. I know James picked this out last week as a game to keep an eye on, and in the in the end uh, we had we had five goals from it. Bologna picking up a four one win. Um, Francesco, I, I think we've spoken in the past about how Bologna perhaps have the potential to be, you know, a team that could move into the top half, possibly push for Europa League next year. What what do you think they need to? you know, do to take that next step up the league? Uh, that is a good question. And I'm not 100% sure because if you look at their team, they've got some really interesting players. I really like Ossolini. I think Musa Barrow is is a really exciting striker. He scored again this weekend. And, um, you know, I don't think that Mihailovic is a bad manager. I think earlier on in the season, it was Rafael who made the point. It's about having a manager who's a bit more ambitious in terms of what he's doing, who's maybe doing things, uh, you know, a little bit outside of the box, or he's he's got more interesting tactics like the Zerbi at Sassuolo. So having someone like that who can really take your the level of your play up a level and uh, almost try and make up the disadvantage you have in terms of the quality of your players that way. Um, and so... But but at the same time, you know, Mihailovic is keeping them safe fairly solidly. You know, they're going to stay up easily this season. They're a solid mid-table team. So it's whether, you know, the, team, the, the club is brave enough to make that step and, and kind of change things up dramatically, I'd say, and bring in a more interesting manager who's going who's gonna to do things differently and, and change the way they, they play dramatically. James, you got something to add? Yeah, I think I think exactly right. I think what's holding them back, even though he isn't a bad manager, I think it is Mihailovic a little bit. They've got a really nice young kind of core to the team, but they're not players that you'd possibly expect might uh, draw the attention of, of clubs kind of higher up the food chain. Svanberg's another one, obviously got a, a two goals this weekend. He's a good player. Shouting in the middle is good. Um, they've got a, a number of good young players that, that probably might slip under the radar but have quite a high ceiling. So I think they just need a coach who can probably bring that out of them a little bit more and that could lead to them pushing on. 
I think Spanberg's actually attracted a little bit of interest. Oh, um, there you I've, go. I've seen, I think a couple, I think maybe like Everton have been linked with him possibly, mm. although they're linked with, oh, they're linked with it. Carlo Ancelotti just likes bringing Serie A players over, so that might just be a name picked out of the hat, but we'll see. But, but you know, if he does stay, as, as you say, Bologna's got a very nice team. And that brings us nicely on, actually, to um, the, the next teams we're going to talk about, Sassuolo and Fiorentina. Um, I'm going to stay with you, James, for this one, actually, because I know you picked these two sides out uh, recently for the website as teams who could possibly push on for a top seven spot, you know, next season or possibly the next couple of years. Sassuolo won this one 3-1. They seem to have got their mojo back the last few weeks, started the season really well. Can you put your finger on where why it went so wrong in that middle part of the season, which is why they're, you know, ultimately going to miss out on the top seven this time round? No. <laughs> I think I think to be honest, the we spoke before about the probably where they should be in terms of um, results, in terms of league position. I think it's, it's just one of those. It's, it's it, things even themselves out occasionally. At, well, most of the time over the course of a season. So I think it's just a case of that they're not quite ready to push on. Um, they just need a little bit, a little bit. I don't know more experience possibly I'm not sure um, but I do think they can push on for sure like you say I picked them out um, I picked Fiorentina out as well just mainly because of I think the, the budget and I think if they go for it depends who they go for as a manager if they make that right decision they could really uh, push on but it all hinges on whether they um, they make a stupid decision uh, with, the, with regard to the manager or whether they make a, a more calculated smarter choice Um but I think that the more or less where they should be still, Sassuolo. I think a massive part of their sort of dip midway through the season has been injuries. You know, they've had some key players out, like um, Berardi was out for two months uh, from in January to, to March. Caputo's missed a lot of games. He's, he's injured right now. Um, Boga as well. Locatelli missed a few. I think that accumulation of key players being out in a team that doesn't have that much depth Beyond the uh, beyond you know, the Zerbi's starting eleven is, you know, it had, it had its effect, especially when the Zerbi has a very clear sort of sort of vision how he wants to play. Um, you know, specific players. You know, that double pivot, Locatelli Lopez, has clearly been his preferred choice throughout the season, and he hasn't always been able to play that. So, obviously, that's uh, that's sort of been a limiting factor for them. And uh, I mean, he is Derby is out of contract in the summer, so potentially a, a smart pickup for Bologna. I think he'd do, he'd do wonders with that squad. He called it there. Um, but just moving on to Fiorentina, and now they're only five points above relegation. I know James is tipping them for big things in the future, but Tom, should they maybe be looking over their shoulders a little bit? You know, I think sort of seven games left, only five points above relegation. Could they get dragged in in the final few weeks, as, as we saw with them a couple of seasons ago, actually? I mean, I think the next three games will be crucial, and and I think, I think they're playing next Verona, Juventus, and I think maybe even Bologna. Like high, high scoring teams of relatively strong attack. So, and Fiorentina have been struggling at the back because they've invested a lot in their attacking players uh, in the summer. So, yes, I would be nervous in one way, in one sense, but in the other sense, no, because I feel they do have a budget. 
And I think it's just, in many ways, it's just a poorly managed team in a sense that there is no sense of long-term planning on how we're going to get, how we're going to move up the table, how we're going to go to Europe. And it was just more of a, let's get all these players, let's see how it works out. Um, they're not necessarily young players, you know, um, they are in their, some of their best, best players are in their early 30s. Um, so there isn't that kind of long-term planning. And I think if Fiorentina come up, if they do survive, I think they will just somehow pull through because their squad is, is better than anyone else below them. So, and if they do um, end up surviving, I think if they sort of have like a sit down and plan their squad much better than the season before, I think they will be, I think they'll be a threat to the European places next season, uh, even though they're really close to relegation right now. Yeah, it, it will be crucial, of course. Um, you know, right now, I guess the budget doesn't matter these next few weeks. It's just about whether these players can perform. But if, if they do stay up, then then there, there is some potential there, certainly. Um, we had a bit of a mid-table clash as well, moving on to Sampdoria-Verona. Uh, again, this was 3-1, this time in Sampdoria's favour. Um, Francesco, do you think that the job that Claudio Ranieri's done is, is perhaps going under the radar this season? I mean, I don't think he's going to get manager of the season by any means, but... You know, I look at that Sampdoria squad, it's a little bit limited, but he's got them into the top half and and, and they're looking pretty solid most weeks. Yeah, he's, I mean, I put him in a similar kind of vein as, uh, as Mihailovic. Very solid manager, knows what he's doing. And, you know, he has done a good job of getting somebody. I say, you're right that their squad, you know, player for player is not much better than, well, it's, it's probably the same on a bit, I think, ambitious uh, and some more, you know, a more interesting managerial choice. It's it's a risk, I suppose, because Ranieri, you know what you're going to get from him. He probably is going to keep you up every season, and it's whether you you have the guts as a club to to say actually we'll we'll get someone else in who's going to change things. And it could be risky, a little bit like what happened with Padma this year with Liverani. You know, an interesting manager who's got some good ideas, but it just didn't work out for them and. It's whether these other kind of mid-table clubs want to make that step to, to see if they can go on and get into Europe. Because the, the problem for these clubs is that, like like with everyone, you know, it's the same ideas, the, 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 the Super League. Money is the biggest factor. And the top seven at the moment in Serie A have just got a lot more money than everyone else. And that makes the difference. So you've got to find other ways of making up the difference. Yeah, that, that, will, be, that will be the biggest issue to cut that gap um, but also you know we, we moved from Sampdoria we're going to move on to Udinese who who squeezed past Protone this weekend um, they've also sort of worked their way up and I thought that um, you know Udinese have been quite disappointing for a number of seasons you know often around sort of 14 15 this season they're not much higher I think they're 12th at the moment but there has been a more sort of solid feel about them can you can you pinpoint a difference maybe, James, compared to the last maybe two or three years? Uh, I think you have to give Gotti a lot of credit, really. Um, like you say, I mean, they were they looked like they might go down early on in the season, but they've stabilised the ship quite quietly, really. They just kind of went about the business and and um, and crept up the table. I think Depaul's obviously been a massive influence. 
Um, if he leaves, which I don't know whether he will, I know he's been linked a lot with Leeds in particular. Um, but if they lose him, then that will make a, a huge difference to them. Um, but yeah, not a hugely exciting team, to be honest. I, I don't enjoy really many things about watching Udinese, I have to say. Um, so I'm possibly not the best person to ask. They just kind of really slip under my radar, really. Um, so yeah, Tom might be better placed to answer that one. Yeah, I mean, Udinese, I felt like throughout the whole season have been dragged along uh, by the pool in many ways. And it just seems that, you know, when there was, I think there was a period um, early on in the season when sort of the whole team stepped up um, and performed. Um, but then there's always that slump again. And I think Udinese, in terms of the long-term project, I don't really see the long-term project in Udinese in the sense, okay, they pick up points here and there, but when we look ahead the next season, what are they going to do? They could still be, I could still see them. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in a relegation battle next season, even though they're doing okay right now. So I think a lot will come down to whether they're able to strengthen their side this season and the future of the pool. Because I think I, I think the pool will definitely leave this summer. Uh, but it's whether they're able to sort of able to distribute that money that the that comes from uh, the sale um, of the pool, whether they're able to distribute that uh, evenly. Because in many ways, I felt that Udinese this season have been solid in defensively. Like James said, you know, they're not, they go under the radar because they, you know, they do not have that kind of attacking flair that so many teams have. Uh, but they do just, you know, concede the odd goal now and then, which can cost them a win or just hold them back and prevent them from getting the win. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just more investing in that kind of attacking play. Uh, attacking players that could help them sort of move forward, and that could come from the the ball sale. Yeah, I think I think Depot, I think there's links with him, maybe maybe hooking up with um Mino Mino Raiola as his agent, and that usually means one thing. So it does seem that he could be on his way this summer. Um, I, one thing I wanted to touch on actually, I nearly skipped past it, but I won't. Uh, Raphael Simi has now scored, I think, in seven consecutive Serie A matches. Um, could you maybe see him like staying in Syria? And if so, what sort of club could he go to and make an impact at? You know, maybe a mid-table Syria side, would you say? I'd say lower mid-table, yeah. I think he is, his performances are going fairly under the radar, actually. Even though I think a lot of people have this image that he's, you know, he might be some sort of one-dimensional striker, a typical relegation side, you know, um, fox in the box type of player, but he's actually a very, very versatile player with a, quite a big range of um, sort of shooting ability as well. He, he, he's actually got a very good, a uh, very good long shot on him, and obviously he's very good in the air. And you know, yeah, he could be an asset for any for any mid-table club. I feel he's definitely going to leave at the end of the season and stay in Serie A. I don't think, I think his 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 level will probably be lower mid-table sort of, or maybe or maybe a particularly ambitious promoted side so we'll see but I think in, either way he's 100% staying in, uh, in Syria I'd, I'd, I'd think that um, you know some of the bigger clubs could 
could look at him as well. Um, there's quite a lot of talk about how Milan and Inter both want to get in a, you know, a sub or someone to step in when Lukaku and Ibrahimovic aren't around. And I think Simi has all the characteristics of the kind of player they would, they would need for that kind of role. And he, he, you know, he scored 17 goals this season and it's not a one-off. He's got a good goal-scoring record. I know a lot of them have been in Serie B, but even even in his previous spell in Serie A, he did, he did get a few goals. So I think he's a good striker. He's not that old. He's only 28. Uh, yeah, James, did, did you have something to add? Yeah, I was just going to say he's also absolutely fantastic about that with that stuttering penalty kick run up that Francesco was talking about. So maybe you know, uh, maybe Lazio need to, to get on the phone to Simi or Immobile just needs to give him a call and say, Simi, how do you, how do you do it? Because he's absolutely brilliant at that. He's just completely um, got that down to a T, hasn't he? Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting that you say maybe a top half team. So I mean, you know. Um... I remember Patania, for example, he he was at Atalanta for a while, then dropped down the league. But, you know, he, he was OK at Atalanta. Obviously not Zapata and Muriel level now, but was OK. So those sort of players can can make a bit of an impact higher up the league. Um, we're now going to move on to um, the so-called bigger teams. And um, Raphael, going to come to you with uh, Juventus proving their European Super League credentials this weekend by losing to the minnows that are Atalanta. Um, I'm well done to Juve for showing up and um, actually playing the game this time. It's it's not uh, Atalanta are beneath them yet. But um, yeah, 1-0. Would you say that the substitutes were perhaps one of the big differences in this? You know, Malinovsky obviously got the goal with a deflection, but it seemed that Atalanta sort of, I don't know, gained a bit more momentum as the game went on. Is that how you'd see it? Yeah, I think in terms of the game, it was a substitute that changed it. Not just in terms of Malinowski being a game-winning substitute, but Pirlo showing that he's not as experienced a manager as um, as Gasparini and not really making the the right the right choices, especially substitu- substitutions in midfield. Um, I think on the balance of the game, ultimately, yeah, Ju- Juventus uh, going forward weren't as um, I mean they had a few chances in the first half. Um, that Morata sort of lob over the keeper. But other than that, they weren't really as incisive as they could have been. Maybe that's down to Ronaldo not being not being there. But yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of the optics of the game, it's quite interesting that it did happen, you know, a few hours before the the Super League announcement. And a year on from uh, Agnelli asking why um I think he said that he was asking why why should Atalanta have their place in the Champions League um, when they when they're not an elite club or something along along those lines something that Agnelli would say. So it was yeah it's it's a, it was the hint of irony I guess. I think yeah like you mentioned I think Ronaldo was missing psychologically because there was no real player to lead by example because we all know that Ronaldo is that kind of player that sort of you know, leads by example and motivates the other players. That's how I think one of the major reasons why Portugal were able to win the Euros in 2016. So, you know, his presence just allows the rest of the team, you know, to step up, step up the pace, uh, do an extra gear. But I don't know, it's just, I just find it interesting. I'm not sure if you guys agree, but I feel like over the last year, Juventus have become much more direct. So they've become... And we saw in this game as well, less focused on building up play, more hitting teams rapidly, creating chances quickly. 
And I'm just wondering maybe that sort of, not inability, but lack of motivation to kind of assert that kind of dominance in their style of play. Maybe they're not tiring teams out as much as they used to, uh, which sort of allowed Atalanta, you know, to nick it, you know, be able to step up and nick it at the end. So, yeah, I'm not sure how much, you know, that kind of change in style has affected uh, Juventus' performances this season. Yeah, I'll I'll come to you, Francesco. I know... um... I, th- I think, you know, we, we've talked about how Ronaldo could be a bit of an issue at Juve in terms of perhaps others around him don't play as well when, when he plays, but they haven't won a Serie A game without him this season, I think. I think that's three games they've had a couple of draws and a defeat. Do you think they missed him yesterday? And also Chiesa got injured. I think he's been ruled out of their midweek game. So are, are they in real trouble now of, of missing out on that top four again, having seemingly bounced back in the previous couple of games prior to this one? I, th- you know, I think, I think they they do miss him when he's not around. He's one thing that Ronaldo does a lot is he shoots a lot, and Juve didn't do a lot of that yesterday. You know, having someone who's just prepared to have a shot but having said that I actually think Juve played quite well yesterday you know that is it's a game that was decided by a deflected goal three minutes from time and Juve had as much of the play as Atalanta they had as many chances as Atalanta you know I don't think they played I think they played worse in in recent weeks than they did yesterday I, I'd argue that they played better yesterday than they did against Napoli when they beat Napoli so you know I think they missed him a little bit I'm still of the idea that other players would would thrive and become even more focal to the to the project and and I feel like the team play would improve if Ronaldo wasn't there it's just my but and at the same time you know are they going to be better without him it's, it seems crazy to think that but I feel like players like Kulzewski like Kiesa like um like Morata himself I think Morata had a pretty good game yesterday I feel like they they struggle when Ronaldo's around, or they make they make different decisions. You know, they're not, they're not at ease in their own play when he's around because everyone has, and, and even Pirlo, the manager, he has to do things a certain way to accommodate Ronaldo, and it makes it difficult to. And I think Sari had the same problem last season. So, yeah, it's it, you know, it's impossible to say for certain that uh, that you will be better without him. But you know, if I was a Juve fan, I I think I would be, I wouldn't be that disappointed if he did decide to leave in the summer. Yeah, I think it, I think you're right. I think it was it was a very tight game, not much in it. I thought I thought maybe Atalanta just slightly edged the second half, but then again Juve had I think the slightly better chances in the first, so it was really a sort of flip of a coin kind of game. Um moving on to the game that happened later in the evening that was into traveling to Napoli. This one finished 1-0. Um what did you make of the game, James? You know, Inter's lead at the top cut slightly, but no major concerns for them. Do you think it was a pretty evenly contested match? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. And I think it was exactly the way that Inter wanted it to go, basically. 
minus the um, the Handanovic clanger, which was was kind of inexplicable. Um, that's the kind of thing I used to do in Sunday league playing in there. I've done that once or twice. Flashbacks when he when he dropped that in. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exactly probably went the same way into into would have hoped it to. Um, Napoli kind of came on strongly, and then they kind of faded a little bit. I felt in the in the second half and kind of in the last ten minutes, where you might have expected them to be kind of. Going forward, you know, they had obviously a, a lot more to kind of to gain really than Inter did. Um, they looked like they maybe settled for a point in those last 10. They didn't really push on as I might have thought that they might have done. They kind of seemed happy to to take a point, which given the, the circumstances, it's probably a, a good result for both of them, really. Um, I know we spoke last week, Napoli had decide, a look of a side who, who could break that winning run for Inter. And I think Inter knew that as well. Um, and that's ultimately what happened. Um, but yeah, I, I still can't believe that Handanovic is, is in net for Inter. That's, it, it's baffling to me, really. But there you go. But a good game, actually, and, and probably a fair point. And a lovely goal from Ericsson as well. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a very good game. Um, especially given what was to come only a couple of hours later, of course. Um, but we're now going to just final game of the weekend we're going to touch on. Come to you for this one, Raphael. Uh, Milan beating Genoa 2-1 and, and a pretty crucial result for them if the season, you know, continues as we hope it will. We're, we're coming to a conclusion. Milan sort of opening up a bit of a gap between them and fifth place. Um, what did you make of this one? Not the greatest performance, but just crucial that they got the job done. I think it was their first home win in a couple of months for Milan. Yeah, I think that was, you know, this three points are the most important thing. It wasn't necessarily a good performance. I think yeah, even even Rebic, Rebic himself had a bit of a an on and off game. He scored a great goal for the opener, but then missed a few uh, missed a few really simple chances. So uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, a hot and cold game for Milan. I think uh, you know they'll be happy. They eventually got the got the job done. And yeah, I, I think that pretty much seals it for you know. I think they'll they'll definitely finish in the top four. Like second isn't isn't confirmed just yet, but it does seem like they you know they might go on a on a on a bit of a winning run hopefully. But I mean, we'll see. It'll be interesting how. Uh, how these, uh, how the Super League uh, ramifications turn out, because obviously, you know, we could end up in a few days with, uh, with Napoli as Scudetto champions or Atalanta, more likely, uh, yeah, depending we'll... on depending on what the decision is. Yeah, we will see how that pans out. I think the, the one of the biggest moments from the game was Donnarumma making a rare error, and then. Um... Two clearances off the line from Milan's defenders. Um, the second one of which was from a guy who's arguably been Milan's most impressive player the last couple of months. And that is Alua Fikayomi, Alua Damilola Tamori. Uh, I think I've got that right. He was asked after the game Perfect. to ask to ask uh, what his na- what his full name was. Um, Francesco, do you think it's a formality that Milan signed him on a permanent deal? And and how impressed have you been with him? I've been very impressed. I think um, I think Milan definitely want to sign him. Uh, I just think uh, there could be an economic factor that prevents them from doing that. Um, I think a lot uh, of Milan's choices in the transfer market is going to depend on. 
what happens in terms of Champions League qualification. And I'm not as confident as Raphael of them getting into the Champions League yet. I still think they've got a few. Uh, I know that, you know, I, I agree with him. That it was a big result for them this weekend. You know, they made points on Napoli and Juve, which, uh, you know, they're two biggest rivals in terms of Champions League qualification. But uh, I think Napoli have got a great run-in. You know, they're only going to play one other team in the top seven in the run-in, which is Lazio this week. And if they win that, then they're not going to play any other teams in the top seven. So I think they're going to pick up a load of points from now till the end of the season. I expect you were to finish strongly. I know they've had an indifferent season, but, you know, I feel like they, they've got a good chance of getting in as well. So, and Milan have still got some tough games. They've still got to play Juve, I think. They've still got to play Atalanta. So it's not a done deal for them. Yeah, it seems that the next few days we will know more about the Super League. But for now, we're going we're gonna to pretend at least that the games this week are going to go ahead as planned. Uh, so I just want to ask um, a couple of you to pick out uh, some games to look forward to because we've got a full midweek round as well this week. So, Tom, I'll come to you first. Are there any games sort of midweek or the weekend that you're really looking forward to? Well, I think the obvious one, for me anyway, is Napoli Lazio. I don't know. It's just like, I just feel like it would be absolutely hilarious seeing if Napoli win, Juventus somehow lose. Then Juventus will drop down to fifth. You know, maybe they're not even able to qualify for the Champions League. Um, I think a so, lot of people are hoping for that at the moment. <laughs> I think, I think just seeing Juventus not even qualify for the Champions League, that would just make my season. Um, mm. Obviously, we don't know, really know what's going to happen. But regardless of that, um, Lazio versus, you know, Lazio just come out uh, of, a, um, of a high-scoring game. Uh, Napoli are always an attacking threat. So I think I'm expecting an end-to-end exciting match. So hopefully we'll, we'll get that from that match. So, yeah. I know, James, you picked out Bologna Spezia last week. That turned out to be pretty good. Are there any sort of games under the radar that you'll be keeping your eye on this week as well? Um, I think Crotone, Crotone, Sampdori. I mean, Crotone just seem to seem to just there's goals galore every time they play at the moment, isn't there? So yeah, uh, everybody watch watch Crotone, Sampdori. I think Wednesday evening, um, and then Sunday, who we got Sunday? Atlanta Bologna looks quite an interesting game actually. So I do like Bologna at the moment. I think they they've got something about them. Atlanta's always goals, so they're my two picks. For, for our listeners this weekend and this midweek. Always a bit left field with James. I did not expect Crotone Sampdoria, but you've been told now. So to be fair, Crotone have been in some great games recently. So that could well be a, a good shout. Um, Raphael, one from you. What do you reckon? Uh, from the midweek games, I'm probably going to say Bologna-Torino. I think that's going to be a very high scoring game just in terms of what's, uh, what's at stake for Torino and the goal scoring from the Bologna are in. And then on the weekend, I think it'll be interesting to see the uh, the return leg of Fiorentina Juventus. I think if the uh, if the first match is any anything to go by, it's not gonna go it's not gonna go according to form. So it could be uh, it could be an interesting game to to look out for. Federico Chiesa's homecoming as well. Oh yeah, well he he won't have any fans to boo him like at like sort of Bernadeschi, but uh yeah, well, we'll see if Chiesa's fit for it, of course. He's, he's got a bit of a knock at the moment, so we'll see. Francesco, one from you, perhaps? You got any any more? Have they all been covered? No, I think both of Coyote's games are interesting this this week. Uh, so they've got um, Udinese away and they've got Roma at the weekend. And I think 
given what Roma have been like in the last few weeks, they're both winnable games for Cagliari and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can make the relegation battle interesting by picking up points in either of those. Yeah, certainly. Uh, if, if the games go ahead as planned and everything, we could have some exciting ones this next week. Well, that concludes the episode. Thanks a lot for joining me, guys. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And um, hopefully everything will be more positive next week. Let's see. Uh, but, yeah, we'll catch you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.